Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm Scott Fellman, your host for this look at the aquatic world and all of its natural unfiltered beauty. Uh, as usual, we're going to try to cover topics on our blog and our podcast that are maybe you'll, maybe things you've thought about before, maybe things you've read about before, but perhaps from a different angle. Um, today is something that we've no doubt have discussed amongst ourselves many, many times over the years. Um, this is something that came up not long ago. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, in Europe. Got to love that, right? That we can talk to people all over the world on the internet in, in, a, in a course of a morning. Uh, we were talking about some upcoming aquarium projects that we're both doing, and we were discussing our dream fish selections for these projects, you know, often lamenting the lack of availability for the fishes that we wanted for the projects. You know how that goes. And, you know, the typical thing is I'd do a whole tank around that one if I could just find the damn fish someplace. You've had those conversations, too. I know you have. And this is both the bane of our existence and part of what makes the hobby so compelling and so alluring, right? As a lifelong hobbyist, I've spent tons of time reading about, researching, observing, and collecting tropical fishes, just like you have. It's a big part of the hobby for most of us. And in all those years of researching, I couldn't help but wonder about some of those fishes. You know, the ones that are found in the scientific studies and papers about wild fish populations. The fishes that seem to be ridiculously abundant in their natural habitat. You know, the ones that are swarming in and out of the view of all those underwater Amazon videos. Yet you never see those particular fishes. They never even show up as a blip on the radar for the hobby. What gives? Why do we rarely see some of these fishes in the hobby? The mind boggles, right? Or is there a logical, straightforward explanation that perhaps we just don't think about? Now, there's plenty of reason why some seemingly abundant fishes never show up in the trade. The primary being one that the collectors are simply not aware of any commercial or economic value for them and are far better off from an economic standpoint when they bring in 5,000 cardinal tetras instead, instead of an abundant but commercially uninteresting you know, kerosen like Hemogrammus elegans, for example. It's a basically gray, nearly monochromatic kerosen that has little in the way of value to exporters who need to satisfy the demands of wholesalers who in turn cater to stores, who in turn cater to hobbyists like us worldwide. Now, one only needs to contemplate how different things would be if suddenly there was a huge demand for this fish from the hobby world. You're like, what if it became the it fish for some reason? Like, maybe it was the easiest kerosen of all to breed. It gave birth to, you know, uh, live, you know, right out of the egg, free swimming fry that ate live brine shrimp and, and grew, you know, into an, an inch in, in three months or something like that. Or maybe it was determined that their tissues contain some specific protein that's effective at uh, treating cancer or something. I bet you if those happen, we'd no doubt see these fishes coming in by the ton. Duh, that's easy. That's obvious. So it's really about demand. And that makes sense. We love our hobby, but collecting and importing fishes is, well, it's a business. And business largely runs on seemingly and almost unfairly dry yet prudent fiscal decisions. And when you think about it, a fish being relatively drab and unremarkable in appearance has at least one benefit. It takes the external pressures off of the wild populations of many species, right? No one's typically grabbing the gray kerosens or those unmarked cichlids, right? 
so they can reproduce at will and maintain in abundance while the more colorful brethren that live with them are getting picked off by sharp-eyed, profit-minded collectors by the thousand. It's really not that difficult a concept to wrap our collective head around. Yet, of course, as a hobbyist, I find myself wanting some of those less interesting, yet relatively common in nature, fishes to play with. I know from my years on the marine side of the aquatic livestock industry that some of the more rare, less in-demand fishes will come in with the common in-demand species as what they call incidental bycatch on occasion. And the sharp-eyed hobbyist or collector can score a somewhat rare, albeit nondescript fish like a tang, for example, that just shows up in a shipment of 400 more commonly viable, uh, you know, Acantharus leucasteron or, or whatever type of tang it is. We've seen this a lot in the marine hobby. And these are always a cause for celebration among serious marine fish enthusiasts. And many cool forum posts have been dedicated to relatively unexciting brown tangs that an eagle-eyed, highly experienced hobbyist identified and nabbed at the wholesaler or local fish store, picked out of a large group of more popular species that it arrived with. These little discoveries fuel a lot of people's passion for the hobby. They really do. And it's the same in freshwater, of course. Sometimes a few of these hobby oddities will trickle down into a group of more widely known, more commercially viable species. They'll get collected accidentally, make it all the way through the chain of command and or custody uh, from wholesaler to store. And occasionally they do find themselves in the hands of some really sharp retailers who understand this scarcity of the fish and potentially their value to some hobbyists. This happens a lot with dwarf cichlids, like little epistogramma with catfishes like Corydoras. You know, new species seem to come into the hobby all the time or we're seeing versions of fishes that we haven't, perhaps type localities or whatever that we haven't seen. And that's what's fun to me. You never know what will make it through. My local fish store, and yours too, no doubt, has always had one of those, any fish in this tank, $1 displays. I used to love, I still do love looking at those things. You never know just what true rarity you might find there cast aside from a tank full of more viable fishes. Sometimes you find, you know, bad versions of common fishes. Other times you find something that you just didn't expect. And then they're fishes that don't make it in the hobby to any degree because, well, they're not that appealing to a large number of hobbyists, at least not yet. Perhaps they come from a specialized habitat and need the same situation in an aquarium to show off their best color and vitality. Want an example? Well, it's no secret that I have an obsessive, almost compulsion for certain types of fishes like the uh, darter-like tetras, the so-called darter kerosens. They're relatively nondescript. One of them is Elacocarax pulcher. One of my fave families, the Cranucidae, as you've talked about, has these darter-like fishes in abundance, and they're found in the extensive litter banks of Amazonia and in South America. Yeah, they're virtually unknown in the hobby. And it's a real shame because they're fascinating little fishes that we could probably do some really cool stuff with in our tanks. They obviously would work really well in leaf litter beds that we're you know, rather fond of replicating in our own tanks, right? And they would no doubt be popular within our tiny community of enthusiasts. They're cool enough that even hobbyists who have never seen them or, or heard of them could potentially be enticed to keep some if they were actually available. Of course, I have no illusion that us, the 1% of the 5% of tropical enthusiasts who make up the segment of natural style aquarium keeping and biotope oriented carrican lovers, who keep leaf litter aquariums would even show up as an economically viable segment worth catering to by a collector. However, what if a few of these cool fishes just got through? What if some capable hobbyists were able to breed them in viable numbers? Not only would we succeed with an obscure species like this and it would release us from our reliance on the chance collection or importation from them, 
It could possibly even permanently satisfy a demand, regardless of how tiny, for a cool little fish like this in the hobby. And most important, it can conceivably prevent any sort of need to continue to remove them from the wild intentionally. It's that what if that keeps a lot of us dreaming. And of course, if enough people are exposed to such a fish, it just might open up some eyes to the pressures that the wild habitats face. That's a real win for nature, isn't it? It's a very selfish and I suppose kind of fantasy-like, almost blissfully ignorant point of view, I'll give you that. But it's fun to think about, right? Yet, when you think about it, entire specialties in the hobby, such as killifish keeping, are built upon this idea of obtaining and breeding relatively obscure species and variants from various geographic locations uh, of fishes that you almost never see in the hobby. And that's been, you know, the truth as long as I've been keeping killifishes. And of course, it's not just limited to killifishes. There's apistos, there's betas, there's L-number, loricaria. It's all kinds of fishes that, you know, rainbow fishes, all kinds of fishes that are somewhat obscure yet fascinating. I can imagine if I pulled a random group of you, there'd probably be many fishes from many different families, just like my little friend Alekokarax, that would be treasured by a tiny group and diligently and lovingly maintained and spawned and possibly preserved for future generations to enjoy. So yeah, as part of our fish geek due diligence, we need to keep an eye out on wholesale stock lists and intently scrutinize vendors and dealers tanks, hoping, waiting, and watching. They may not be with us in the hobby right now for any number of reasons, but these out of sight yet truly aspirational fishes are what keep a lot of us going. Us, the real one percenters. These fishes hold us spellbound, captivated and, and diligent, waiting for our chance. They're always on our minds. What's your dream fish? When will it show up? Do you look for substitutes or do you hold out for the real deal? And how badly do you want it? Keep searching. Stay focused. Stay alert. Stay diligent. Stay persistent. And really, stay freaking relentless. Until next time, don't forget to stay wet either. This is Scott Feldman. Hope you had a good time with me this morning. We're looking forward to talking to you again uh, on the next installment of The Tin.